Well, tonight we return to 2 Kings, kind of in the middle of the story of Athaliah and King Joash. So 2 Kings chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 20. If you remember the context here, the first part of this chapter, we looked at the preservation of the promise of the line of David by preserving the life of young Joash when he's one year old during Athaliah's, Athaliah's murderous rampage against the royal line after her son, King Ahaziah, had died. You know, what an awful regime. Athaliah was such a wicked ruler. But what an awful regime falls, like Athaliah's is doing in this chapter. What or who will take its place? Well, as long as I read, picking up verse 13, they have just placed Joash on, uh, in, the, in the temple as the king, and they have clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. And here is the next verse. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, Bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they lay hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and people that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces, and they killed Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. There we're going to stop. I know there's one more verse in the chapter. I think it fits next in next week's message. But as we consider this God's word, let us briefly ask him for help in understanding it. Father, this is your word. It is placed here for all eternity, especially to encourage the church in their relationship with you and to draw people unto yourself as they repent. Father, use this word for our benefit. May all the things spoken here, said here, thought here, be pleasing in your sight. But if not, Lord, take them away. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I spent some time in the last week reading a book for fun. I don't often do that these days, it seems. But I read a book, and in this book there was a description here of a murderous beast inside a large building along with many people seeking to escape. 
And there was a team there led by the police and other authorities. And as they were seeking to know what to do inside this building, the people were trapped. They were afraid of this beast. And here there was disagreement among the authorities. What is the priority? Are we to get, go in to kill the beast first or to try to rescue the people first? This is the scripture, isn't it? What is most important in the Lord's eyes? Is it to protect his people or is it to get rid of the evil, including Satan himself and all those who would follow him? You see, both are desirable. Both are necessary. But which is the priority? In this particular passage, we're reminded of three things that are being protected here by the uh, by the Lord's people, particularly by the leadership of Jehoiada at the leading of the word of God. First of all, the protection of the throne. Secondly, the protection of the temple. And finally, the protection of God's people. First of all, a reminder of the context. What's going on here? We, we learned last week that there was only one seed of David left. The Davidic line is so important here, not because this was the king's line. It was so important here because this was the line of the promise. The promise given to David back in 2 Samuel 7, also in 1 Chronicles as well. The promise that there would be someone from the line of David that would sit on the throne of David forever. And of course, last week we looked at how there was now one individual left. There had been one person on the throne who had one heir after the murderous rage of Athaliah and all the other events in this section of scripture. There's just one little baby left, an infant one year old. By the middle of chapter 11, or by verse 4 even, we find out six years later, here is Jehoiada the high priest who now is is making the effort to put young seven-year-old King Joash on the throne. This child was preserved from a usurper. That is, a lady by the name of Athaliah, the queen mother of dead King Ahaziah, someone who was not of the line of David, someone, in fact, who was from Sidon. Uh, at least that was her heritage. Her mother Jezebel was from Sidon in Phoenicia, and she had brought Baal worship into Israel, and now it had filtered down into Judah because of the marriage alliance that had taken place along that line. This protection of the throne was from not only this usurper, but also from those who would seek to destroy the seed of David and the line of Christ. But notice how it took place. Athaliah heard the noise of the garden of the people, and she went into the house of the Lord to the people. What was she hearing? In fact, the Second Chronicles passage makes it more clear exactly what she was hearing. She was hearing the running of the people, and she was hearing the celebration of what was going on. She heard trumpets. She heard clapping. She heard joyful celebrations, and she heard... The phrase, long live the king. The protection of the throne was at the great rejoicing of the people as they remembered the glory days 
of David in all the wonders of the kingdom of Israel. And this was despite the queen's ironic saying. She sees all that. It says she goes into the temple, that is the house of the Lord. She saw the king, according to the custom, standing by the pillar in evidence uh, that this was perhaps the place of judgment or the place uh, where the king would be in the temple. And she saw all the captains and the trumpeters and all the people rejoicing, blowing the trumpets. She tore her clothes and she said, treason. Treason, the word we get sometimes that also could be conspiracy. Conspiracy, and what an ironic thing for this usurper to say. After all, what had she done? She had conspired against the throne of David by trying to kill off all the heirs to the throne. And now she is saying here, in irony, treason, treason. I have to say it reminds me of when I was younger and there were these folks, if you followed uh, basketball, if you remember the NBA, there were those particularly amongst the Celtics or the Pistons or some of the well-known teams who were bruisers. You know, those guys who'd go down and they would foul everybody and be real rough underneath the rim. And they would be rough and, and push people around and sometimes tackle other people or whatever it took to try and intimidate the other team. But when they got pushed, they would call foul. Foul. Here it is. Queen Athaliah, at least calling herself queen, says treason. Treason. How many times do we call unfair when we're being unfair to others or we fail before the Lord? But thankfully, this protection of the throne was also a protection of God's house. Notice this is all taking place in God's house. Of course, part of that reason is Jehoiada is the leader. He's the high priest of the time. His wife is the one who saved the baby when the time of murderous rampage came. They saved the baby, adopted this child, brought him into their home. We assume that their home as high priest, he was in the temple complex in a house on the ground, so to speak. And now he's called everybody in. In fact, when he called them in, a reminder of the circumstances, he called them in, the people that were... Uh, supposed to protect the king and install him. Uh, they were those who had come in without weapons, and he provided them the weapons that David left in the temple. And so here everything is taking place in the temple, but it's so loud the queen can hear it in the palace. But even in this, notice verse 15. Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, bring her out between the ranks, put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. Protecting the sanctity of the temple, from the, first of all, from the presence of Athaliah. After all, you have to understand who Athaliah is. We don't call her wicked Athaliah for nothing. She was the one who was the descendant of Ahab and Jezebel. If you remember Jezebel, she's the one that came from Phoenicia and brought Baal worship into such a large degree that they actually installed a temple to Baal in the heart of Samaria, the capital 
of Israel. And assumedly she followed Baal as well and brought Baal down with her to Judah. So that that place too would fall under the tentacles and the roots of this idolatrous, idolatrous idol. So she is coming into the temple here. And as she comes, remember this temple is to the Lord, the true God of Israel. But she comes as an unclean anti-Yahweh ruler. By this time, she had likely installed Baalism as the state religion to mirror that of her parents in Israel. So for her to enter the temple as an unclean person, a type of antichrist, that is someone who is against the Lord and his promises, Jehoiada wants her removed. He also wants her faithless followers removed. It doesn't indicate necessarily that anyone actually went after her and sought to follow her, but there was this possibility that there would be those who would be loyal to Athaliah instead of the true king, Joash. And so Jehoiada says, if anyone is to follow her, then strike them down. But the temple is a place of holiness. It's a place sometimes we refer to as a sanctuary of the Lord. So it was to be protected not only from the presence of a wicked person like Athaliah, but also from the execution of Athaliah. Notice what he says. Let her not to be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they lay hands on her. She went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. This was the priestly protection, the job of the priest to guard the holiness of the temple. Now, obviously, they were not holy. In fact, they understood the holiness of that place because that place was supposed to symbolically be the presence of the Lord. And there were times when God's presence was evident in that place. It was a place where the priests, even the high priests, once a year were to go into the most holy place and actually appear before the mercy seat of God. A place where his glory would dwell. And so they sought to protect that place. And of course here, the just execution of Athaliah did not take place at the temple. It took place at the place where the horses would go to the stables by the palace. This was a reminder, perhaps, of her mother Jezebel's fate. Remember what happened to her? She was thrown from a tower. She was trampled by horses so that her body was unidentifiable. But why not in the temple? A reminder here, David was told he wasn't the one to construct the temple because he shed so much blood, blood before the Lord on the earth, both in warfare and in his own, by his own hand on the battlefield. Now the temple was a place of blood. You have to remember that. It was a place of blood. This is where all the sacrifices were done. And there were a lot of sacrifices, and there was a lot of blood. But this blood was to cover the sins of the people. The blood of execution, just as it was, would not cover the sins of anyone else. So it was not to be in the temple. 
So here the protection of the temple in this story. But perhaps the most important part of this is the protection of the people. Remember now for six years they've been under the rule of an unrighteous woman called Athaliah. They've also suffered under the rule of her son, her husband, her stepfather or father-in-law. There's now been at least three generations or three rules of unrighteous kings. The people had suffered under that. And so now Jehoiada does this. Verse 17, he made a covenant. In fact, by the scriptures here, we're told he actually makes two covenants. First of all, he makes a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. What is this covenant? What does it remind us of? It reminds us of who these people were. You see, he's protecting the people from even this long extended period of a wicked ruler. He's protecting them from losing their identity. Their identity is this. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're reminded of who these people are. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He goes on to say, It was not because you were more in number than any people, that the, than any other people, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Here it is. Jehoiada recognizes the moment. It's not just about reinstalling a, a seed of David on the throne. This is a reminder that they are intended to be the people of God in covenant with him. On one hand, this is through a covenant reminder that they are the people of the Lord. Remember the history of the covenant, the covenant with Abraham through circumcision, but a covenant to remind all the world that all those who are of the faith of Abraham fall under the covenant. There's a covenant with David, the covenant that the line of David will provide a savior for the people of God. And it goes on and on. These are God's people. Making a covenant here reminds them of the covenant that God made with them even to bring them out of Egypt and to constitute them as the people of the Lord. But it's not just a reminder, it's also a renewal. In one way, this is not a new covenant. It's new in the sense that now there's a new king on the throne. His name is Joash, he's seven years old. It's new in the sense that now this is a new regime. Now instead of the unrighteous kingdom or rule of Athaliah, now there is a new king that they hope will be a good one. These are a people not only of the Lord, these are a people of the covenant, of the promise. So he seeks, by God's grace, to protect the people from their loss of identity. And of course, with that comes protection from unrighteous rule. 
He also makes a covenant here with another group between the king and the people. Notice what it said, because he made this first covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. Reminder of this promise. What is this other covenant between the king and the people? This is a reminder that this king has a job to do. And this king, first of all, is to be in covenant with God as the ruler. He is not the ruler of the kingdom. God is. He is a ruler under the Lord. And by this, he is to treat his people justly and fairly, serving them as a servant of the Lord. And so in this protection from unrighteous rule, there are covenant reminders. You may not remember what David did in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3. In 2 Samuel 5, 3, it says this, So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. What is this covenant that the king makes with the people? It's not just in the past either. It happens with David. It's also going to happen with another good king, righteous Josiah. In 2 Kings 23, he makes a covenant that he would be the kind of king that he was supposed to be before the people. In fact, it's not just through these covenant reminders, the covenant here now between the king and his people. It's also through their modern constitution, if you want to put it this way, based on Deuteronomy 17. What, after all, was a king to be? He was to be someone who did not collect himself for himself wives or horses or money or riches. He was to be someone who was supposed to serve the others in his kingdom. He was somebody who was supposed to write down for himself a copy of the law, assumedly the first five books of the Bible. Can you imagine how long that would take to write down those first five books of the Bible? He was supposed to read from the law every day of his reign. And he was supposed to reign with justice for the people. This was symbolized, in fact, by Joash's testimony. Remember back in verse 12, it says they put on Joash, the king's son, they put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. What is this testimony? It might have been even here a reminder specifically of Deuteronomy 17. Or perhaps it was the entire Torah, the law of the Lord. Through all this, this was to protect the people against unrighteous rule. Isn't that, after all, the attempts of many countries in whom the people declare a form of government? After all, that's what happened in our country. There was an attempt here in the United States by first the Declaration of Independence and then the Constitution with its Bill of Rights to protect the people so that they would have righteous rulers and would be for the people. And you even hear these words, this is the government of the people, for the people, by the people, all these things. In other words, this is a reminder that our leaders are there not for their own glory, not for their own riches, not for their own ideas, but to serve the people. And in fact, here we had rights. 
After all, what was this Bill of Rights and what were the Declaration of Rights in our Declaration of Independence? We said these rights come from God. They don't come from government. And hindering these rights is unrighteous rule. In fact, we decided in history that slavery and the promotion of slavery by the government was unrighteous. And we outlawed it. Unfortunately, there were times when our basic rights have been denied. The right to life has been denied by babies in the womb for 50 years and continues in many of our states. This is unrighteous rule. The right to worship freely in some states in the recent COVID events, when they closed down churches by government decree, not in South Carolina, our government did not sign that, our governor did not sign that. But if they prohibited, prohibited completely anybody from gathering to worship God, these rights provided unrighteous rule. So here this covenant is in scripture, between the king and the people, how is it there? Why is it there? This covenant is to prevent unrighteous rule and remind the king of his responsibility before God and remind the people that as long as that king follows the righteous rule that he is supposed to be doing, they must submit to him. But the protection does not end there. Notice what happens after they make the covenant. Verse 18 then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. This is so awful, isn't it? That there was a temple to Baal in Judah, the people of the Lord. The people went there. They tore it down. They tore down his altars, his images, and broke them in pieces. They killed the priest of Baal named Matin before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. You see what happens when people commit themselves to the Lord, what happens when they renew the covenant with God? Immediately what happens is they seek to protect themselves from instruments of faithlessness. And so here they tear down the house of Baal. They execute the priest of Baal. His name Matin. Yes, there were some names like that in the Old Testament, referring to perhaps Judah or Israel, but actually Matin is a very common Phoenician name. It's very likely that he was hired from the city of Sidon, where Jezebel came from, to institute this idol worship of Baal. And yet here, the people themselves, after they make this covenant, they go themselves and tear down this idolatrous place and have this priest executed. What do we do? When we renew the covenant we have with the Lord, when we're reminded of God's grace giving to us privileges we do not deserve. Recently, we had a car leave our house. Now we're down to two. They can fit in the garage. Now because of that, I went to sweep out the garage because my son liked to work on cars. And sometimes he'd leave it a mess. And so I found it very important, if I was going to put my cars in there, they're some of the most valuable possessions I have, after all. And so what I wanted to do is sweep out all the nails, the screws, the metal, the glass, anything that might puncture a tire or cause problems with these cars. 
because now for the first time this was this was a new phase of our life to be back down to vehicles that can fit in the garage. And so after all, there was an action I had to take place to remove the obstacles from using that garage for days just like today when I wouldn't have to scrape ice off the windshield. But what do we do with our lives? When we renew our commitment to the Lord, what needs to go? The renewal of the covenant is return of faithfulness which always leads to the destruction of those things which cause faithlessness. In fact, Hebrews 12.1 says to throw off every weight or sin that hinders. In other words, we're reminded there are all kinds of things out there that hinder our relationship with God. And if we want that right relationship with God renewed in our lives, we must rid ourselves of those things that would, that would prevent us from following the Lord. I don't know what it is in your life. I know what it has been at times in my life. In fact, Jesus tells a young man who said he was very righteous and moral, he said, you need to get rid of your wealth. He tells others, go and sin no more. Some of us need to rid ourselves of the things that would hinder our relationship with Christ. But the protection of the people continues. In fact, the Second Chronicles account of these events tells us that not only does Jehoiada have some guards brought to guard the house, but he actually has them guarding the house of the Lord and he brings them in guarding the gates so that no unclean thing will come in. In other words, he's restoring proper worship in the temple and he's restoring and protecting the nation now from careless worship. How important is it for us when we come to worship, to come with the right attitude, to come with faith in the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't invite visitors from outside to come in and hear the truths of God. Of course we do. But for those of us who believe in Christ, we're here to worship the triune God. And we must put aside unclean things. And we must guard the sanctuary of God's people. Jehoiada seeks to protect the people from careless worship. But finally, the last thing, from the chaos of wicked leadership. He does all this. He says, he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, all the people of the land. They brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. They, he takes his seat on the throne of the kings. In other words, the deed is done. The wicked ruler is destroyed, and the true king has been placed on the throne. But verse 20 it's the concluding verse of this section. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet. The restoration of the Davidic king brought joy. And the people rejoiced. They were reminded of God's promise to David. They were reminded of the promise of the forever king through that line. Now it has been preserved against all odds down to one one-year-old child. And now that child at age seven placed on the throne with the hopes of a kingdom. Joy has come in the restoration of the Davidic king. But there is also now peace. We desire peace. In fact, I think that's something we pray for all the time. Lord, we say, 
Help us to have a good day. Help us not to have any conflicts. Help us to have a situation where we can just ease through life and be wonderfully, wonderfully rejoicing at every moment of the day. But when we have a righteous ruler, there is a sense of peace. It may not be that all our problems will go away. It may not be that there will be no conflict in our lives. In fact, Jesus promises conflict to the church. But we do understand there will be a peace that passes all understanding. You see, we're a people of the covenant. We're a people of the faith of Abraham. We're a people of the promise to David. We're a people of the new covenant in the blood of Christ. And because of that, we're called to count the cost, to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and to remove from our lives those things that cause us to sin and to wander. I ask you for peace, for reliance upon the Davidic King, Jesus the Christ. What is God calling you to do in order to remain faithful to him? What is he calling you to do or to be as you seek his kingdom first? That's what this passage teaches us. Whenever the covenant is renewed and God seeks to protect his people and guide them and promise to them, then they must remove those things that would hinder that relationship. Let's ask for help. Let's ask God to help us in this endeavor. Let's pray. Lord, as we listen to these things, we know there are things that are weights to us, things that need to be removed. We pray for the strength to do that by your spirit. Lord, we pray that you will help us in our walk with you. I think many of us here in this room would say that the older we get and the longer we're believers, the more we know that we are sinners. But Father, also, along those same lines, the more we should know that we are being sanctified and cleansed. Lord, help us to know your promise. It's not reliant upon our works. But, Lord, when that promise has been made and faith has been given, then, Lord, there are things you want us to do to glorify you. Help us, Lord, to be people of faith that believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But, Lord, also help us to be those who follow Jesus that would do those works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.